good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. As we enter a new year, can I thank you all for listening to the ministry of Let the Bible Speak. The new year is a time for reflection. And on New Year's Eve, I, I preach the message to the congregation on a motto text for 2018. The text was Colossians 1, verse 18. It was an appeal to the church that in our life and ministry, Christ would indeed have the preeminence. This is part one of that message, and I trust it will be a blessing to your soul today. Well, please turn once more in your copy of the Word of God to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, we'll read together. Colossians 1, verse 18, And he that is Christ is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So I thought we'd come and think about the motto text this morning. It is, it is my attempt, uh, without apology, to guide our church in the coming months. Now, I know every part of God's Word is relevant. And therefore, in a real sense, you could, you could choose any part of the Word of God. And there is no compulsion for a church to have a motto text. No compulsion at all for a minister to, to bring a text at the beginning of a, a new year. It is something we do by choice, not by obligation or compulsion. The commission... The Great Commission instructs the church to teach all things whatsoever Christ hath commanded. And therefore, all of the Word of God is relevant to our studies today at the end of one year and the beginning of a new. And yet I, I do feel the obligation as your pastor to guide and direct the work of God. That is my task to oversee and to determine which I, what I believe under God to be for the good of the work Again, that takes place week by week. But the new year is a time for us to stop and reflect and to ensure that we are pushing together in the same direction. And thus it is a, it's a theme text. It's a visionary text to ensure that together we'll have our shoulders to the ply of God's work and we'll seek to bring God's work forward for His glory. It is verse number 18, and particularly that, that last phrase, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Remember, a number of years ago I considered this text as a, as a possible uh, motto text, and I, I put it to the side. I thought, well, this is far too obvious. We all know this sort of stuff. And thus, I do say that what we'll see today is, I trust by way of a reminder. If you like, it's a bit like a car. You know, you're going to get your, your, your tires replaced and they, they align the wheels. Make sure the tires wear evenly. Well, well, sometimes that alignment's a very, very slight thing, but it's very important. And that's, I, I trust that today any realignment is, is very, very subtle and very slight. But if your wheels are unaligned and they continue that way for some time, it's not good for the car. And if we have our focus slightly offline in this place, then it will not be good for the Word of God in the years and the months that follow. 
So let's look at the text together. And the first thing I want to notice is the truth that is taught. It's a very simple message in terms of outline. And the first thing is the truth that is taught in the text. And that truth, let me declare it to begin with. So the first thing I want to do, I want to state the truth that is taught in this particular text. And let me put it to you in these words. God has, God has so ordained the affairs of this world in creation and in redemption that His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would hold the chief and exalted position over all things in creation. Put to again, God has so ordained the affairs of this world in creation and redemption that His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would hold the chief and exalted position over all things. The word that, in verse number 18, that in all things He might have the preeminence, that word that speaks of purpose. The preceding truths lead to that conclusion. All that you see in the earlier verses, they lead to the conclusion that in all things He might have the preeminence. And the succeeding verses, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, verse 19 and following, that also confirms it. And just in passing for your understanding of the structure here, there is two very clear parallel uh, paragraphs in the writings of, of Paul in this chapter. You have verse 15 through 17, and then you have verse 18 through 21. So, so clear are the parallels that some suggest these actually are two verses of a hymn. Again, those who believe in singing psalms only don't like the idea of being New Testament hymns. Uh, but 1 Timothy 3, 16 and here in Colossians 1 are suggestions that there may well have been new hymns being written in the New Testament church. Perhaps even likely written by Paul himself. Verse 15 begins with, who is, and the same words are used in verse 18, and he is. Yeah, you don't see it in the, original, in the English here, but that's the, the same structure. You have firstborn mentioned in verse 15, and firstborn mentioned in verse 18. And there are other parallels also. Verse 1, if you like, of this hymn, is a hymn of creation and providence. And verse 2 is a hymn of redemption. And thus in creation... And in redemption, God's purpose is that Christ would have the preeminence. It's not so much that his preeminence results, but rather from the beginning of time, it was the very purpose of God that he would have the preeminence. And so you could see the word that as a word of result, but again, others would, would say very strongly it is a word of purpose. That God had deliberately put this world into being with the express purpose that Christ would have the place of preeminence. The word that's used here in verse 18, preeminence, is only used here in our New Testament. It is used outside the Bible, in Greek literature, to speak of preeminence. But in the Bible, this is the only place it's used. However, there is a related word, a word that is close in idea, that speaks of first First in time, first in place, and first in order of others, or first in prominence. You have it there, and you can turn back to Matthew 22. Again, we don't use this word preeminence very often today, so I want you to show you what it means. 
Matthew 22, and uh, verse number 35, a lawyer comes to Christ seeking to question and to tempt him, to test him. And he says to him, what is or which is the great commandment of the, in the law? That's Matthew 22, verse 36. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so the question comes, what's the most important commandment of the law? And that's the sense that we're great. And as Christ answers it, he says to him, well, it's to love the Lord your God first. That is the first, and that's the connected word. That is the first, first in rank, first in importance. Love God first, and then the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so you see this word first is used in terms of first of prominence, first in rank, first in importance. It's also used in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, the verse number 44. Mark 10, the verse number 44. And again, you, you get the, the idea. Here it is, the, the sons of Zebedee. They have a desire to sit, one on the right hand and one on the left of Christ in glory. Uh, but then Christ opens up the, the aspect of true servanthood. And then in verse number 44, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And that word chiefest is again a connected word to the word for preeminence in Colossians chapter 1. So it's first in rank, chief. And therefore the doctrine that is declared in this text in Colossians chapter 1 is that God has ordained creation and redemption so that Christ would hold the chief and the exalted position first in rank. That in all things he might have the preeminence. That's the truth declared. But in the second place, I want to defend that truth then. So we're still thinking about the truth taught, and we've declared it. Well, let's defend that truth now. And the defense is very, very simple. It is that Jesus Christ is alone worthy of this exalted place. There's a remarkable few verses in the Word of God. The authorities would suggest that Colossians perhaps was written maybe only 30 years after the ascension. So there were those who were walking on the world who would have known Christ as a compatriot, known him as a contemporary. And here Paul is writing about this man, Jesus. We know that from verse number 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood. No one else can be in view regarding uh, this writing other than the Son of God incarnate, the one who shed his blood. And yet of the one who walked on this earth, Paul is using the most exalted language regarding his role in creation, providence, and redemption. It is remarkable. They walked with him. They watched him. They spent time with him. And within a very short time, they echoed the words of Thomas, my Lord and my God. This is the only one. He is the only one who is worthy of the place of preeminence. Note his person. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God. And again, this terminology 
has been misused by those who would seek to deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And they would say, well, that word image, you know, it's used of the coin that bore Caesar's image. The same word is used. So therefore, it's, it's not suggesting that Christ is God, but simply that he is like God. He is the image of God. But that doesn't do justice to the language that Paul uses. You look at uh, Colossians chapter 2 and the verse number 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Or Colossians 1 and verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Paul is using a term for image that denotes one who is equal with God. Christ can perfectly reveal God because he is God, co-eternal and co-equal with the Father. And so you have a similar word used in Hebrews chapter 1. You'll note well Hebrews chapter 1 and the verse number 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, suggesting that Christ perfectly reveals the Father. There is a, a statue in Valley Forge, I'm sure you've seen it, near Washington's, uh, the, the command center there, which they suggest is the most likely likeness of Washington exists. It's on the sign. I'm no expert in that. You'll appreciate that. But it's there in the sign. And no likeness perfectly reflects the one they're seeking to portray. But the words that are used of Christ here indicate that he is the perfect likeness. And nothing can be a perfect likeness to deity unless it itself is deity. And thus Christ is the perfect image bearer of God in every aspect. Therefore, he must be co-equal and co-eternal with God. And yes, there are distinct roles in the Godhead in the Trinity. But here is the Son of God described in terms to indicate his absolute deity. Not a partial deity or a partial divinity that the Arians or the Socinians or the Russellites would teach, but a full and a true and a complete deity. His person, he is God, fully God, truly God, very God, God manifest in the flesh. But not also his performance. Not his performance in creation. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Here we find it described that Christ is the one who made all things. All things were made by him. We need to pause and consider the word firstborn that's used here in verse number 15. I don't know if you've uh, come across uh, the Russellite, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they like to call themselves. And if you begin to discuss with them the deity of Christ, I guarantee within about three seconds they'll turn you to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Because they base their understanding of Jesus Christ on this text. That they believe that he is not truly God, but rather was the first created being, the firstborn of every creature. And in that sense, they say, he is the Son of God. 
created by the Father. Yes, he is a divine being, a divine-like being, but not truly God. And I've already said that the words that are used in Colossians chapter 1 and 2 indicate that Christ is indeed fullness of deity, a complete and a perfect image-bearer of God, therefore being God himself. But the word firstborn itself, it can cause you some consternation. What does it mean? Well, even in the context we see that firstborn does not mean one who is created. For it says, by him were all things created. And we'll come back to that in a minute or two. But in the Old Testament, this word firstborn itself can speak of rank. Turn back, please, to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, just as you're turning back to Psalm 89, let me read to you the words of Isaiah 14, so you can turn and listen at the same time. Isaiah 14, the verse number 30, describes the firstborn of the poor. It's not describing the firstborn of the poor as one who is made, but rather the first in rank of the poor. And the same sense is used in Psalm 89. Psalm 89, in the verse number 27, uh, describing God's promises to David, it says, Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Now David, he wasn't even the firstborn of Jesse. But here we have a description of uh, God making David the firstborn. And the sense is one who is first in rank, first in importance, firstborn as one who was lord of and governor of the household. That's how the word is used, which is significant, because it means that Christ as the firstborn was the lord of, the governor, the manager of the affairs of creation. Isn't that what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1? For by him were all things created. But of course, Turn to John chapter 1. So we are seeing here Christ's performance in creation. He is the firstborn as the one who was the, the Lord over creation, the manager of creation. And again, you see that in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And just in case you missed the point, and without Him was not anything made that was made. If Christ himself is made, then that text makes no sense. There was something made that was not made by him. He himself was made. But of course the text is teaching that he who was truly God, the word who was God, was the one who made all things, and without him truly was not anything made that was made. He must be uncreated to be the creator. And thus we see in his role in creation the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He is first over all creation. He is the very governor of creation. By him were all things made. But see his performance also in providence, verse number 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Similar language used in Hebrews chapter 1 again, the verse number 3. Whereas then it's described, he's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Christ, as Lord over all creation, is the one who sustains all creation by the word of his power. And then you have his role, his performance in redemption. In verse 18, 
And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he might have the preeminence. Again, there are these three terms that are used regarding Christ's role in redemption in this text. He is the head of the body of the church. That aspect of headship is expanded for us, I suppose, by going back to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back to Ephesians. Uh, Paul, particularly in Ephesians, uses that sense of, of Christ as the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 22. Again, describing the power of God wrought in Christ, verse 20, and then verse 22. And I've put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And then Ephesians chapter 4 and the verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Again, Christ is the head and the church is the body. And then Ephesians 5 and the verse number 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. So what do you learn about headship in this situation? Well, you see, Christ revealed his head in terms of one who is the protector of the church. One who is the provider of all graces to the church. He is the head. We are the body. One who is the director of the body. As the husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church. There is direction. There is protection. There is provision. Christ is all of these things. All of which again imply that he has the preeminent role over the church. He is the Lord of the church, not just the Lord of creation. He described also as the beginning. Again, back to Colossians chapter 1. And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning. And that who, by the way, relates back to Christ as the head, not to the church. Christ is the beginning, not the church. And that term beginning speaks of one who is the originator, the source of all blessings. Uh, again, similar language used in Revelation chapter 1, or sorry, Revelation chapter 21, and the verse number 6, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And this word begin, beginning speaks of one who is a source of all blessings. Christ, again, has that place of preeminence in the church. And somebody, somebody rightly said, but for his gracious intervention, no church had ever existed and no salvation had ever been enjoyed. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. Again, when you read firstborn there, you're reading the same word that is used in verse number 15. So maybe be careful here. If you read firstborn from the dead, in terms of Christ's temporal place as the first of all the resurrected ones, you must read the same back to verse number 15, where he is first temporally of all created beings. Christ is the first to rise, never to die again. First temporally, 
But the sense of the word here, to be consistent with the words in verse number 15, is to indicate that Christ is first in rank over all those who will rise from the dead. Again, it's a sense of rank, chief position that is held by Christ, not only over creation, but also over redemption. Therefore, it is the purpose of God that in all things he might have the preeminence. And the succeeding verses prove that again. For again, verse 19 and verse 20 show that Christ alone has all the fullness of deity dwelling in him, and Christ alone reconciles all things to himself. And so in his role in creation, providence, and redemption, he alone is worthy of this first rank, of this preeminent place. No one approaches the glory of Christ. No one approaches the glory of the God-man. None is like him. None bears God's image as he does. None has performed the works that he has performed. There is none like our Savior. And therefore, he must have the preeminence. You know, if you have low thoughts of Christ today, you must repent of your sin. It is the purpose of the eternal God that Christ would have first place in our lives. And if you leave this year where you read in your life, you're denying the very purpose of God. God says, my son must have the preeminence. Not you. Not you with your puny arms of rebellion. Not you with your puny thinking. But rather Christ and Christ alone. There is none. No priest. No pope in Rome. Who has the place of preeminence. Christ and Christ alone and the purpose of God must have the place of preeminence in this world. And so, having seen the truth that is taught in this text, and the second thing we should do as we close is consider the application that is in address from this text. What is the application to Malvern Free Presbyterian Church in 2018? Well, if this is the purpose of God being worked out in his creation, then it must be our chief concern. There can be a moving away from Christ and his church. And therefore Paul uses God's purpose in Christ to realign the people to their chief purpose. This text is not a command. It's an indicative statement. In all things he might have the preeminence. But it carries the implied command. That as a church, it must be our desire to reflect the eternal will of God. That as a church, we ought not to be at variance with God's purpose. But rather, as a church, we ought to be manifesting God's purpose. It should be our desire to mirror the conduct of the saints made perfect in glory. The Lamb has all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 
or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.